Hello, and thank you so much for tuning in to Living with Endo, the A to Z of endometriosis. If this is the first time you've tuned on into this podcast, welcome. Pleasure to have your company. My name is Ellie Angel Mobs, and I am a proud ambassador for Endometriosis Australia. And this podcast is all about getting the conversation out there and to create awareness for the one in nine that battle endometriosis. In this episode, it is all around endometriosis and the diet. Now, previously, we had one of our clinical advisors, the wonderful naturopath who's based in Perth, Tracy Gabiso. She spoke about endo, diet, the good stuff, the bad stuff to eat. But in this episode, you're asking her the questions. We put it out on social media. We were inundated with your questions for Tracy. So this episode is answering the endo warriors questions Clinical Director and Naturopath Tracy Gabiso talking all things endometriosis and diet. The last time we spoke with Tracy, it was the most popular podcast on this little series, Living with Endo, the A to Z of endometriosis. So we had to get her back on. Thank you so much for joining us again, Tracy. No problem at all. Glad to be here. So you are a nutritionist, a naturopath, a herbalist. You are part of the Endometriosis Australia Clinical Advisory Committee. And in this episode, we're going to focus on the endo warriors because after we did our last episode, Tracy, so many people were sending through wanting to know answers to all of these different questions. So we've put it out on the Endometriosis Australia social media. We've been inundated with all these questions. So we're going to go through as many as we can. Thank you very much to everyone's response. And of course, um, I think with every single person, it's around finding the right thing for you. That's right, yeah. So the first question, Tracy, would love to know the main foods to avoid with endometriosis. Oh, main foods to avoid with endo. Okay, so um, as you've started to say there, there's really no one food or food group to avoid that we can categorically say that everybody with endometriosis should avoid. Some people do well removing dairy and wheat. Others it makes no difference to. Some people do well reducing meats. Others got no issue with meats. So it's very individual. Uh, the research does has started to point towards a FODMAP diet if you've got some bowel issues going on alongside the endometriosis. Um, and obviously, we know with FODMAPs, uh, they're basically sugars in, in certain foods that can react with some people and cause those bowel symptoms. So by taking those out, uh, you do sometimes get some um, some relief with those bowel symptoms. But it is a temporary diet because there's a lot of good foods that you would have to take out um, from that FODMAP. So it would only be a temporary thing and um, it wouldn't be considered a long-term one. So primarily it's going to be individual, but they're the key things to maybe start with depending on, um, you know, where you're at with the symptoms. Now, you mentioned the FODMAP diet. I know when I went to Dr. Google, and we're starting yeah. to investigate that particular diet. There were many different things popping up. Is there one source in particular that you could recommend to get the right facts around the right FODMAT diet? Um, the Monash University is the best one because right. they're the ones who basically started putting it together. So they've got an app as well, I believe. Yes, they do. I have got that app on my phone and it is absolutely amazing. It's got like a traffic light system. So you can go through, That's right. you can see the particular food that you may want to try and it'll have 
a red light, an orange light or a green light giving you the the stop or go signal um, to let you know how it could make you feel. Yeah, that's right. And and you'll see as well, you know, some foods are high in FODMAP, some are low, some, you, you know, some people might need to take them all out altogether. Some people might be okay on just, a, you know, small amounts of FODMAP. So it's, it's a trial and error even with that one. But it, yeah, you'd start there. Um, and the Monash University is the one that I usually recommend. Fantastic. Well worth a look. This next question is through from Sarah. She would love to know tips for gut inflammation caused by endo. Okay, so with this, there's a couple of things that I would um, recommend that people can try. And the first thing is something that I have been doing for a very um, long time since I was trained, and it's food combining. Um, So you don't cut any food groups out. You just eat different food groups at different times. So you would eat your proteins separate to your carbs and fats. And the idea here is to just take the stress off of the digestive system by eating a little bit more simple. Um, And obviously you would still eat whole foods. And the concept's been around for centuries because a lot of um, Ayurvedic and traditional Chinese herbalism have long recommended like pairing particular foods. Now, there isn't a lot of research on it. It's just something clinically that I found um, works quite well for people. So, for example, if you're having a big piece of meat, you wouldn't necessarily have it with with the potatoes. You'd have the potatoes separately. You wouldn't cut them out, but you just wouldn't eat them at the same time. So that can sometimes help for people. Um, If you do that alongside drinking things like lots of fennel tea, especially after your meals, because fennel we know helps um, with digestion. Uh, The other thing to consider would be to remove any foods that the person may be reacting to because that gut inflammation could be reacting to particular foods. So I would usually start with wheat or sometimes it can be actually the pesticides on wheat. So if if somebody loves their, their wheat, I would just say, okay, we'll try organic first. And I know not everybody's going to be able to afford organic, but it's just some different options that we've got um, to help with inflammation. Um, The other thing would be to eat bitter foods before each meal. So we've got these little bitter taste receptors on our tongue and they stimulate digestion and help us to digest our food a bit better. Um, So that would be something that we could do. So something like a little um, salad beforehand with all the bitter, like the rocket and the radicchio and the chicory um, as, a, as a starter, can get the stomach um, acid and the, and the digestive tract going well and digesting that food a bit better, which then obviously would take the strain off um, any inflammation that's going on down there. And the other thing I would probably say is to try maybe not to drink alongside your food. So, so like big glasses of water, have them either before or after. So they would probably be the tips that I would quickly give you for trying to deal with gut inflammation and then obviously using lots of anti-inflammatory sort of spices like ginger, turmeric, cinnamon, cardamom, fennel, all those beautiful chai sort of spices. There is nothing like a nice cup of chai. Oh, that's just like a warm, it's a hug and a mug. It is, absolutely. So there's some key things there maybe for for trying for for inflammation to start with. Sarah, thank you so much. Great question there. This one through from Steph Drury would love to know, what should someone eat with endo heaps of? What do we need to be gorging down on? Please say chocolate. (laughs) 
Okay, so again, I'm probably going to say there's not really one food that I would advocate to eat loads of because we normally find we get the best results from eating in a balanced way. It's a bit more like the Goldilocks principle, I say, uh, I would say. So not too much, not too little. And for example, there are some foods, though, that the brassica family would be a really good example. So the brassica family's got all your broccoli, your Brussels sprouts, your cabbage, uh, cauliflower and we know that they've got compounds in them that will help with metabolism of estrogens and so they're beneficial to us however with endometriosis one study showed that eating lots or more than a couple of pieces a day it can actually make your symptoms worse so even though we know that that's a great food that would sort of make sense to eat with endo because of that support for estrogen clearance is coming back to that Goldilocks um, um, principle of eating some so you get the benefits of but not eating too much and eating plenty of fruits and vegetables, green ones. Again, we come back to the anti-inflammatory spices. So I wouldn't say there's one food or um, something that we should be eating heaps of Definitely the brassica family needs to be included, but because of that research that says if we have too much of it, I would probably, again, just go back to eating a balanced amount of that together with all your other green leafies and those types of things. Okay. Once again, it's every single person is different. For me, sometimes if I have too much, like if I have cauliflower, it causes wind, which causes pain for my bowel endo. So every single person is different. That's the thing with, with, as I'm saying, if if that group of foods is so good for um, estrogen metabolism or, or to help your body have the nutrients that, that, that then will metabolise the estrogens. But if you're having too much, it's got a lot of sulphur in it as well. So some people, especially if you've got the bowel symptoms, can start reacting to that brassica family. So although you would, you would think, oh, that's a great food to have, with endo it sometimes throws things out, out of balance. So I would be just saying try to get that Goldilocks principle in. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Steph, for your question. Hannibal Nectar. I love these names on Instagram. They're always fun. Uh, They would love to know, is it common for dietary and nutritional requirements to change throughout the menstrual cycle? Now, that's a really interesting question. Um, There is some research that started to come through exploring that question. We don't know the definite answers to that yet. However, I'll just go through some of the main things that they've been looking at, which is quite interesting. There are some studies that suggest that our requirements for certain nutrients can change over that female cycle, driven by our hormones, which would seem to influence a preference for sweet tastes in the later phases of the cycle, which sort of makes sense just before you get your period, you're craving those um, chocolates and things like that. But um, they did find that there was that preference for sweet tastes in the later phases of the cycle. Uh, But at the same time, there was also a reduced distaste for salt and sour solutions. So a lot of people don't like too much salt or too many sour things. But in the later later part of the cycle, there was a reduced distaste for that flavour. And there was an increased um, perception of salt, sour and bitter. So sort of directing us possibly to eat more salty, sour and bitter foods at that later part of the cycle. And there was also another study that was done a little bit earlier that looked at food intake um, differing between different phases of the cycle. So your proteins, carbs and fats were higher again just before your period compared to post-bleed or during the bleed. 
and uh, intakes of vitamin C and vitamin B were significantly higher just before your um, bleed than during the bleed as well. So all these sort of differences could be driven by the body metabolizing nutrients differently across the cycle. Um, and there was another study that also showed that the fat and the protein, when it's broken down, it's usually excreted in the urine. And that actual excretion mechanism was decreased in that later phases as well. So we were eating more, but we were excreting less. So that would possibly indicate that there's an increased energy requirement needed in that later stages of the cycle. So just before the bleed, the couple of weeks before the bleed. But we do need to do more research. As, as I say, there's just really a few studies on that. So we can't say for sure. My suggestion would be to eat plenty of protein and good fats, especially in that two week just before your period. Dark chocolate's counted as a good fat, right? <laughs> it certainly is, providing it's um, the 70 or 80% um, chocolate rather than all, with all the sugar in it. Excellent. <laughs> Lily, <laughs> Lily Engel would love to know, what is the best diet? Uh, we touched on it earlier. She's on the low FODMAP and she's doing gluten-free as well. Would love to know any tips on that and any recipes you could share. Mm, I do have a nice recipe that would work quite nicely. I'll maybe run through that in a minute. Um, so, yeah, we've, we've sort of touched on this already. There is no perfect endo diet. What works for one person is not going to work for another. We're all individual. Our genes are interacting with what we eat. Um, my suggestion would be to keep a food and symptom diary just to work out how somebody might be feeling after eating a certain food or a food group. And if you don't have major bowel symptoms, then you could start with maybe a Mediterranean style diet that's got lots of fruits and veggies. Um, and then if you have got the bowel symptoms, then you could start maybe with the FODMAP and go from there. But it's important to keep that diet diary so that you can tweak it if you need to. And then it's also as well important to say, again, if you're taking food groups out, that you need to know how to replace the nutrients that you may be missing. So it's important to get some professional support with that if you're not sure how to do that yourself. And my favourite recipe for breakfast for endo clients is called Rumpelstiltskin. And it's basically got some ground flax seeds in it, some water or milk. Now, the milk that I tend to recommend is either almond or oat milk, but if you're okay with um, cow's milk, then you could do that. And then some ground almonds, a banana that's mashed with a fork, um, maple syrup, uh, juice of an orange and some stewed apples that have been peeled and cored and diced. And all you do is you really bring the milk to a boil, stir, stir in the ground flax, boil it for about 30 seconds. You don't want to do it too much more than that because flaxseed has got really delicate oils in it. Remove it from the heat, put it into a bowl, let it cool, then then mix in everything else. So you mix the nuts in, the banana, the, the maple syrup, the orange juice, whisk it all in, and then fold in the stewed apples. And the reason why I love that is because it contains plant estrogens, so phytoestrogens, lots of fibre, a compound called pectin, which fuels our gut, omega-3s, which are anti-inflammatory, vitamin C, potassium, and protein. So you're starting off the day in a really good way, and it's yummy as well. So Rumpelstiltskin would be my suggestion. That sounds like a really good combination of <laughs> everything that you need to keep you full for the day as well. It is, yeah, really good. I have that, um, yeah, myself often. 
Is flaxseed the one as well that when you put the water in it, it goes really gluggy? Yeah, it does. Yeah, so it will come up like a porridge, that Rumpelstiltskin. Okay. It comes, you can do it overnight as well so that you've got it sort of cold in the morning, um, but it's quite nice warm when it's just taking it off the um, stove as well. So it, especially if it's in the winter, you could have it warm or you could have it like a, an overnight oat in the morning. And I find people struggle with breakfasts more than any other meal, which is why I try to give them a good good start to the day with, you know, um, having the, the, the fibre, but the omega-3s, some some fruit, some nuts. Um, so you've got a lot of good things going in there to start your day with. Now, just on breakfast quickly, I am guilty of waking up in the morning and the last thing I want to do is eat. Just the very thought makes me feel ill until I'm kind mm. of a little bit awake, probably around about 10 or 11 o'clock. So I've already been up since, you know, 5 o'clock. I know it's a big no-no. Any recommendations on how I can motivate myself to actually start eating early in the morning? Well, to, to be honest, um, we used to think it was a big no-no, but there's some research now on the intermittent fasting, which has actually supported for longevity and some other benefits that there's no problem with maybe eating your breakfast a little bit later. I myself don't eat breakfast till about 11. So it just, again, everybody's individual. If you've got any issues with blood sugar, um, then you wouldn't want to do that. But um, if you find that you're not, you know, really feeling like food first thing in the morning, as long as you've got your total calorie intake during the day, um, you, you work it around your, yourself now. So I wouldn't actually necessarily force you to have breakfast if it was something that didn't work for you in your schedule. But you could always, if you if you felt that you were really starving by the time you got to your breakfast, um, I would always have something like, um, again, I don't know if you're going to be able to eat eggs, but I'd have a hard boiled dog or something already eat um, already done so you can just snack on it Some straight great, away. Great advice there. Thank you for that. Uh, now, Louisa Phoebe would love to know essential foods and nutrients for endo warriors. Okay. So, um, again, I suppose we're going to come back to there's no one food or nutrient per endo, uh, per se for endo. For, for, for endo, endo. Um, so, again, it's going to present itself differently for each person. And from a naturopathic perspective, perspective, we don't actually treat endometriosis. We treat the person with the endometriosis. So it's really just trying to find out what's working for that person. However, we do obviously know that endometriosis is inflammatory. So generally, we would um, look to maybe help uh, try to encourage, reduce inflammation so foods that you would do to keep inflammation low would be reducing sugar in your processed foods you would put in things like your omega-3 rich foods such as fish flaxseed ginger turmeric but again just eating an an anti-inflammatory food doesn't necessarily mean it's going to act as an anti-inflammatory in the body after it's been metabolized so we're trying to eat in a balanced way with more foods that contain those anti-inflammatory compounds to try to push the balance that way. But say you were getting cramping or headaches as a symptom, then you'd want to maybe focus on more magnesium-rich foods that can maybe help, such as your green leafy veggies, pumpkin seeds, cashews, nuts, and avocado. Uh, if you were getting heavy periods and you needed a little bit more iron, you'd be focusing on iron-rich foods such as your lean red meat, liver, eggs, although I don't know that many people eat liver nowadays, Um, liver pate maybe, 
If you're getting bowel symptoms, then again, you'd be using some of those um, spices that I've talked about, the fennel tea, ginger, peppermint, those types of things. So it really depends on, depends on how endo's presenting for you as an individual into how you can direct some of the foods to drive some of those symptoms or support those symptoms down. But we'd be really looking at magnesium, vitamin D, omega-3s, and your B vitamins would be key nutrients generally. But as I say, it is very individual when we come back to that um, Goldilocks principle again. Just on the magnesium, I've seen a lot of chemists are now stocking magnesium supplements. Is that Mm -hmm. something we should be looking into or should we be trying to intake it uh, with actual food? Look, food is always my first option for people because, you know, nature tends to know how to give it to us in the form that we can absorb better. And some of the, there's so many different types of um, magnesiums that are attached to different compounds. Some of them are easy to, to absorb. Some of them aren't. Some of them can cause um, diarrhea or constipation. So again, really important if you're going to take a supplement to speak to somebody that can help you direct you with that. Um So as much as you can through your foods, however, if you are getting cramping or something that's going to need some assistance, uh, we know that magnesium has this anti-cramping, anti-spasmodic sort of action. So you might need it in a higher amount um, at the times when you're getting the cramping and the spasming, which you might want to then support with a supplement. But always best to get it through your food first um, and then take it from there if you need it add some extra in. All right. Thank you very much, Louisa Phoebe, for that question. Next, this one's through from Jules. She has got endo and MTHFR. Okay. Which is, is is that a gene, I believe? It is, yes. So MTHFR is a gene with a very long name, methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase, which is why we call it MTHFR. (laughs) Um, And it's a variation on a gene that for some people can affect how they process um, synthetic folic acid. And we know that folic acid is obviously really important to support cell growth, prevention of neural tube defects in pregnancy, Uh, It's also needed for the cardiovascular system and colon health. But having that gene variation does not necessarily mean you're going to have an issue because there's other genes that can compensate for that. But seeing that folate is such an important nutrient, especially in childbearing years, um, my recommendation if you do have the MTHFR variant, and again, it just depends which variant you've got, would be to focus on eating foods that are high in folic acid or natural folates. So that would be primarily green leafy veggies, avocados. And again, we know that the folate in food is in a way that uh, our body recognises and can process rather than a synthetic one. Um, although, again, we might need to take a synthetic one for, for various reasons. Um, but if you take folate in your foods, you're going to get it in a form. And then it doesn't matter what genes you've got, your body's going to be able to absorb it. So folic acid would be the foods that I'd be focusing on if you do have that MTHFR. But again, as I say, not necessarily going to be an issue because we don't just have one gene. You've got other things that can compensate. Well, good luck with that, Jules. Final question. <laughs> is through from Bronwyn. She would love to know if you've had endo fully removed in a laparoscopy, is diet still important to reduce recurrence? Mm, That's a great question as well. Um, Well, we do know that endo can reoccur after surgery and we also know that estrogen drives endo and that it's an inflammatory disease. So although... 
the science isn't really solid on this yet. You could try to use a, like, utilize a diet to support balancing both, both the estrogen and inflammation. And that would be important at all stages, not just after surgery. Um, but because of that possible reoccurrence after surgery, it is something that you can focus on. So the food groups to consider that would help to support the estrogen and the inflammation would be phytoestrogen-rich foods, such as um, legumes, miso soup, clean soy, so tofu, tempeh, soybeans, flaxseed, and they all have these plant-like estrogens in them that can help to balance estrogen. And then omega-3s, again, will be useful for the inflammation. And you might have a little bit more inflammation happening just coming out of surgery. So again, you're going for all those um, fish, seafood, seaweed, flaxseed, hempseed, chia seed, nuts. They will all be omega-3s and have anti-inflammatory sort of compounds. But as we've already talked about, you know, there's no guarantee that you're going to take these and you're going to be better. But all we're trying to do is to balance out estrogen and inflammation after surgery to try to reduce that risk of reoccurrence. So you can play with your foods that way. But again, there's a few foods in there that if you're on the FODMAP diet, you wouldn't be having. So you'd have to be individual with, you know, how you deal with each of those foods anyway. I think one thing that I've learned through listening to this chat is to go and try some different foods and see how your body reacts to things and learn from it that way and just get into the kitchen and go to the markets, get some fresh fruit and veg and have some fun and put some passion back into what you're eating because your body's going to love you for it. Absolutely, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Tracy, thank you so much for answering those questions for our Endo Warriors. And of course, if anyone would like to touch base with you, you are based in Perth. How can we find you? Yeah, so best to go through my website, which is www.beyondhealth.com. Dot au and I do um, Skype calls or Zoom calls um, or you can come face-to-face to see me in Perth. So that's the best place. If you're unable to get in contact with uh, Tracy or get an appointment with her, of course, you can just try and find a good naturopath, dietitian, whoever you, who would you recommend? Well, either of those, a naturopath or dietitian, but I would obviously just make sure that they have had some additional training in endometriosis because it is a a sort of an area that needs a little bit more focus and not, you're not always, everybody's up to date with um, some of the information that you need to know. So just making sure that the person that you're either dietitian or the naturopath or nutritionist have had some training with um, endometriosis a little bit more. Now, you have written multiple blogs as well on the Endometriosis Australia website, endometriosisaustralia.org. There is lots of information there, so highly recommend you check it out. Tracy, thank you so much for your time, and it's good to know that if I feel like having some chocolate, girl's going to go and eat chocolate. Go eat it. Thank you so much again for everyone who did send through questions on socials for Tracy. Could spend hours chatting with her. Make sure you get in contact with her and check out endometriosisaustralia.org. See her blogs. There is plenty to learn there. And while you're there too, you can make a donation to help Endo and help out the one in nine who battle with this debilitating disease. If you have enjoyed this episode, make sure you give it a like. Leave it five stars. Leave it a nice little review. We love to read your comments because by doing that, it creates awareness that there's a podcast around endometriosis 
it lets others know that they can tune on in and feel less alone because that's why I did create this podcast in the first place. As I was going through my endo struggles, I wanted to get information. I was looking through the podcast world, there was nothing. And the team at Endometriosis Australia have created this little baby. So thank you so much again for tuning on into Living With Endo, the A to Z of endometriosis. Stay safe, be merry, and I'll chat to you soon.